when we're eating that processed food, it's what we're also not eating that is impacting us. If I'm or somebody is eating bags of Doritos, it means we're not eating a high protein food, a complex carbohydrate, a fruit, a vegetable. Welcome to the ADHD Essentials Podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm an ADHD professional who has been in the field for 10 years. I'm on the organizing committee for the International Conference on ADHD and a board member of the Men's ADHD Support Group. Before we begin today's episode, I want to let you know that registration is now open for the Winter 2024 session of the ADHD Essentials Parenting Groups. This latest round will begin in February and is focused on parents raising teens. The groups are built to improve the cooperation and relationship between you and your teen. We'll do that with ADHD-friendly strategies that will improve communication, support independence, and reduce the overall anxiety at home. Over the past five years, I've helped hundreds of parents address the challenges they face as a result of ADHD and anxiety. Today's teens were hit particularly hard by the COVID-19 pandemic, and I'm doing what I can to help remedy that. To learn more about my upcoming Parenting Teens program, email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com or check out the link in the show notes. I also want to take a second to talk about the Men's ADHD Support Group. Men in general struggle with understanding and expressing their emotions, and men with ADHD struggle with that even more. Having ADHD also means that we struggle to meet the expectations thrust upon us by society and our individual life situations. The mission of the Men's ADHD Support Group is to help with that. We provide regular workshops with ADHD experts, weekly virtual support groups, podcasts, blogs, and other resources to help support men with ADHD bring their best selves to the world. Learn more at mensadhdsupportgroup.org or check out the link in the show notes. In today's episode, we talk to Dr. Roberto Olivardia, a clinical psychologist and clinical instructor of psychology at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Olivardia specializes in ADHD, executive functioning issues, and OCD, as well as body dysmorphic disorder and eating disorders. Dr. Olivardia talks to us about ADHD and eating. We discuss the executive functioning challenges that underpin healthy eating, the eating disorders most common with ADHD, the social and sensory nature of eating, and how the things we eat can affect our ADHD. All right, let's get rolling. My name is Dr. Roberto Olivardia. I'm a clinical psychologist and lecturer in the Department of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical School in Boston, Massachusetts. I have a private practice in a suburb of Boston, Lexington, Mass., where I treat individuals of all ages and specialize in ADHD, obsessive compulsive disorder. I work with boys and men with eating disorders, people with body dysmorphic disorder. And within the ADHD space, particularly specialized in people with comorbidities. So people who have ADHD plus eating disorders, bipolar disorder, personality disorders, OCD, substance abuse, always interested in that comorbidity of how ADHD intersects with other diagnoses and conditions. And I have ADHD as well, have two kids with ADHD and dyslexia. So I, I come from a lived experience perspective as well. And today we're going to talk about eating and how ADHD affects eating in, I don't know, maybe some healthy ways, probably not, probably mostly like it's going to mess stuff up and make things harder. Can you just sort of start us off and what are the bare bones that we need to know? 
Sure. So just to give you a little background, my expertise in eating disorders goes back 30 years, particularly working with boys and men, because there was and continues to be a gap in the knowledge of how all the things that we hear about with girls and women of body, negative body image, uh, eating disorders like anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder. I have done research and have treated boys and men with those issues for years. And I see a number of people, both men and women, who have eating issues like binge eating disorder, bulimia, and particularly who also have ADHD. And in fact, the ADHD is a significant uh, risk factor for developing eating disorders, as well as a significant risk factor for obesity. Um, And even aside from those kind of more clinical conditions, we just know that many people with ADHD, it's probably in the top three issues that I hear about, whether it's kids I'm working with or adults, of just eating healthily is tough. It requires a certain level of executive functioning. And having ADHD, when we understand ADHD, it makes total sense why we are kind of more likely to impulsively eat, overeat, um, not sort of interpret cues internally the way that neurotypical people do that can then give rise to having issues with weight and issues with eating. As a guy who struggles with that all the time, it's really hard. It takes a lot of work and effort to eat healthy and eat well, even from personal experience, right? I know when I eat healthy, I feel better. Noticeable difference for me, even before the weight starts to come off. I'm like, oh, I feel like I have more energy. I feel better about myself kind of in general. I have more cognitive focus and and there's less brain fog. But then like something goes haywire and that's enough to disrupt this healthy eating pattern that I've established. I might have a day or two where I'm just driving around a lot, going to workshops or meeting with somebody somewhere else. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I forgot to think about what I'm going to have for lunch or for dinner. Suddenly I'm eating fast food instead of like carrots and hummus or something, right? Right. Or things get stressful and hard. And I'm a guy who's like, hey, everything is really stressful. I want a cookie. Like I Mm -hmm. (laughs) chocolate chip cookie would go wonderfully right now. All of that is the executive functioning stuff that you're talking about. And also some of the impulsivity that comes with ADHD as well. Am I understanding this correctly? Yeah. I mean, when we think about, you know, with, with ADHD and executive functioning, we know it affects every life domain. I do a lot of work, particularly with eating, sleep. So eating is something we have to do every day. And so when you actually think about all of the decisions and um, points of data that we have to be aware of around food for an adult around food every day, what are we going to eat? When are we going to eat it? When do we prepare it? How do we prepare it? Do we have to go to the supermarket and get it? Do I have it in my refrigerator? Where do I place the food in the cabinet? I mean, there are so many decisions around that. Um, so it is something that every single day we're faced with. And you mentioned a couple of things that make it harder for people with ADHD. So we are more impulsive. Um, and studies have shown this, that you know, there's a, a study that looked at uh, kids 10 to 14 with ADHD in a food lab compared to non-ADHD kids. They were rated in terms of what their level of hunger was, what foods they like, their mood before going in and then afterwards. And then they went into and they could just eat whatever was there. They were just observed in that way. When controlling for all other variables, 
They found that the kids with ADHD ate more. It was not affected actually by their mood. And what was interesting is they even ate more of food that they didn't even like necessarily. And when asked, they said it was there. (laughs) It was just there. And I totally get that because sometimes it's just not even, I mean, we think about you mentioning like a stressful day. For some people, absolutely. People can relate to, oh, I had a stressful day. I'm going to have some Ben and Jerry's. But for ADHD individuals, it could be any emotion. And interestingly, boredom is probably the thing I hear the most. In my case, like when I'm stressed, my appetite is dead. Like I can't eat. Like I'm just in like survival mode where the food starts coming on is when the stress abates and kind of goes away. And I'm like, okay, now we're having a good time. You know, you know, happiness can be a trigger because it's like, I'm feeling great. Let's make this moment better because I love food. I really love food. I grew up in a family where food is a good thing and we celebrate it and it's part of my culture and and I love it. And I love that I love food, but I, you know, as I always talk about, and like anything else with ADHD, anything that we love, we run the risk of loving too much. Um, And so it's certainly something I've had to regulate and be aware of and learn, have a different relationship with, you know, over time. Um, So there's the impulsivity aspect. And it's also the kinds of foods that we tend to be overeating or eating. Um, people with ADHD are typically not eating pounds of broccoli when they're, you know, when they, <laughs> you know, so satisfy a craving <laughs> that they tend to be sugar, simple carbs, which basically break down as sugar. And what do we know about the ADHD brain is there's a dopaminergic, a dopamine deficiency or dysregulation. And guess what sugar does? It gives a little boost to that level of dopamine. I remember even as a kid having, and you know, most of my friends were ADHD even back then, even though we weren't diagnosed back then in the seventies, but um, they liked sugar, but I really liked sugar. Um, And there was always that myth, sugar doesn't cause ADHD, sugar doesn't cause hyperactivity, but hyperactive kids or ADHD kids love sugar. I grew up in a house where We didn't have sugar cereals, no soda, no cookies. Like my version of a popsicle was cranberry juice and those little popsicle molds. And I'm (laughs) like, this is so lame. (laughs) And now I'm so grateful that my parents knew who their kid was because I, I had a best friend next door and I literally stashed, I mean, this is in the eighties where three liter bottles of soda, three liters they had. And they had my name on it. So no one in his family touched it. And I'd go over his house and I'd chug it down like somebody probably likes their bourbon or beer or something. And I used to put sugar on Frosted Flake cereal at his house. And even he was like, and he was very ADHD. Um, he'd be like, you know, that's a lot of sugar, like on the cereal. I'm like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> and your point. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> so I always knew wow, like I can take, it took a lot more for me to say this is too sweet than it did for someone else. And that's like a lot of other things. It takes a lot, when I'm saying this is too loud for music, then it's probably blowing your eardrums because I like my music loud. Like it's just more, you know, and food is that more that we just have to be aware of. There's another aspect to food that I want to call attention to now while we're so early in the in the interview because I think it'll play out later. And that's the social side of food mm. that we don't really look at as much as I kind of think we maybe ought to. 
I remember reading Peter Shankman's Faster Than Normal book, and he talks about how he eats like, I just eat chicken and broccoli or whatever, like how he had to really be careful with his diet because he was trying to be healthier and manage his ADHD and all this stuff. And I remember reading that and thinking, how? And I have friends who have that kind of rigid diet. And I'm like, how do you eat such a rigid diet and stay connected to your family that you're eating food with or your friends Mm. that you're eating food with? Because- if everybody is having pizza and you're like, nope, I just eat my steamed vegetables and chicken <laughs> that I brought with me to the party. Right. Like I brought grilled chicken and steamed vegetables to the pizza party because I'm not going to eat pizza. It others us a little bit. It makes some social distance that can be hard to navigate. And it, and it also the opposite of that is not wanting that social distance, wanting to avoid that social distance, mm-hmm. especially when you've got rejection sensitivity going on or you're just aware of it and trying to do social things in a proper way might mean that we break the rules that we're trying to establish for ourselves in order to lose weight. Right. I did this today. I did it this morning. My kid and I went out to breakfast. His brother's not feeling good. So I was like, we'll go mm-hmm. to breakfast before school because there's always a little bit of like, I'm bummed because my brother's not going to school and I am. So if it mm. happens for many days in a row, I'm like, if I yeah. can take you to breakfast, I will. So yeah. we went out to breakfast and I had a pancake and scrambled eggs, which is not what I want to be eating, right? Typically my morning breakfast is like a protein shake and that's it, which is 140 calories, the end, right? This was probably at least 300, maybe even 400 calories. Um, which is going to mean I have to pay more attention for the rest of the day about what I'm eating. But that was because I didn't want to be the weird dad who's sitting across from his kid not eating anything mm. while his son chows stuff down. And also because one of the things I like about taking my kids out to breakfast one at a time is I get to have better conversations with them mm. than I do when they're both there, right? Right. So he's not going to open up to me as much if I'm sitting across from him not eating. Like then it feels like an interrogation, <laughs> right. right? Yeah. Um, so – I just want to kind of, I wanted to touch on that because that's a piece of this as well. That's not exactly ADHD, but Mm -hmm. maybe it is. Maybe that rejection sensitivity stuff that goes with ADHD can play a role in, in disordered eating here too. I don't know. That's a really valuable point because for any, for adults, you know, when we're trying to sustain kind of a healthy eating practice, it has to be sustainable. You know, how many of us with ADHD say, okay, I'm going to go to the gym on New Year's Day and I'm going to work out seven days a week. And then it's like, oh, no, that's not going to happen. And we don't want to be all or nothing, you know, but we want to be realistic. So I tell clients I'm working with, if you know, let's say you're going to go out to eat with friends, you first, let's just be honest with ourselves. Like, am I just going to have a grilled chicken salad, let's say at this Italian restaurant? Well, the answer for me, absolutely not. Like if I'm going to an Italian restaurant, I'm going to have my pasta. I'm going to have a cannoli if it's a really good cannoli. So it's like, okay. And like you said, maybe you adjust kind of how you eat later, you know, in the day or how there's some accommodation. And that's true for lots of things. That's that regulation piece. And at the same time, we, with ADHD, a lot of people with ADHD struggle with issues like of, of assertiveness and the idea of like, these are kind of my boundaries and this is what I have to do. And sometimes, um, and I, I don't use the word diet because it's not really a diet and I don't encourage dieting as much as encouraging mindful eating. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, like if, if somebody is really working on 
healthy eating and healthy weight loss that they go to a restaurant and maybe they'll get the grilled chicken salad and their friends like, what are you doing getting a grilled chicken salad? Like get the lasagna or this. And it's okay to say, you know what, this is what I want and that's fine. And as long as you're still participating in the conversation and, and the dialogue and things like that, in the same way that if you're somebody who is sober, if you're somebody that doesn't drink, I don't drink alcohol, um, but I could still go to place and you know my good friends know I don't I don't drink um and that's fine and so I can assert that and still be part of the conversation and still connect you know with people um but to your point I mean I um I I remember going to uh uh, so buffets in general very difficult for people with ADHD Mm -hmm. to regulate (laughs) the first time I went to a buffet I was in college and it was when one of these like cheap buffet places opened up around you know the the area here and I went I remember uh, my brother was with me and some friends there were probably I don't know 120 different items of food and people at buffets most of the time they'll get like the little sample of I don't know maybe 40 things I got a sample of 120 things <laughs> did you count <laughs> oh I no I just knew I'm gonna get my money's worth I'm gonna have everything I'm gonna try it all and it wasn't even this sense like that. I'm like, I didn't feel like I was like, oh, I'm shoveling this food down. It was like, oh, this looks good. Oh, that looks good. Oh, that looks good. And because we love novelty, like I'm into like, I want to try. Oh, that has a crunchy texture. That's a smooth mm-hmm. texture. That's salty. That's sweet. Oh, that's a saucy thing. Like, so all of those kind of the palate. Um, but I didn't realize it, Brenda. That's the thing. It's like, it's not like I sat there thinking I'm having all of this food. I'm just eating, getting up, getting more food, coming back, ending up. So the end of the, when we're ready to leave, I literally could not move out of the booth because I felt like I was going to puke. Like I had so, I felt so full and I was like, guys, I don't think I can move. I literally feel, and my brother I've been, I'm the youngest of three. I have an older brother and sister. He's six years older than me. He's like, well, of course you can't move. He's like, you, you literally ate everything. He's like, where did that even go? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I had no mindfulness that I had eaten as much as I did. And he's mm-hmm. like, you literally ate every single, and I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, I guess. And I'm, and I'm like, didn't everybody else do that? And he's like, no, like, <laughs> like a third of it. And I'm like, oh, but why wouldn't, so part of me is like, why wouldn't you want to try everything? But I had to sit there for 15 minutes. I couldn't move. Like it was so, and wow. that's, I was, I literally felt like I was going to explode. And so um, you know, I had to, I have to be very aware when I'm at buffet. So one time I remember going to this Chinese food restaurant near my house and they had a buffet and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to try different things, but I'm going to keep it under, you know, certain things I actually brought. And so this is, you know, cause I, I, it takes a lot to embarrass me. I should, I guess, preface that my brother thought it was a clinical issue when I was younger. He told my parents like he, you know, uh, bet which is my nickname in my family. Beto lacks a gene that makes people embarrassed. Like he should be more embarrassed. <laughs> I got into a lot of crazy shenanigans. Um, but I brought a food scale with me to the restaurant. And when I would get portions, I would weigh it just to give me, um, and it wasn't a like an obsessive, like, oh, like it was more of a, let me be aware of like, this is what three ounces of chicken looks like. Mm-hmm. This is three ounces of this. This is, and, and then when I, 
did that and I ate it and I was very satisfied. I wasn't stuffed and I still had a sampling of things, but I might've had a smaller sampling, you know, of things. And, and granted, my family thought it was weird. I mean, but they've seen weirder. Um, so sometimes we have to sort of assert that other times we can like, okay, you know, I can adjust to this, but then let me be a mindful of what I'm going to eat the rest of the day. Um, and then it's similar too, like if people, especially with the holidays coming up, you know, that if you're someone that really has a hard time regulating that and people around you like, oh, live a little, you know, eat this, eat that. Sometimes we have to be honest with people and saying, I have to be more mindful of this maybe than you do in the same way. But with food, it's not as, unfortunately, not as appreciated in the same way as let's say if someone was talking about alcohol, you know, if someone says, I have to be more mindful of alcohol than you do. And people like, oh, I'm, hopefully most of the time people can respect that. And they're like, oh, I get that. But with food, sometimes it's hard for people to understand. I could eat like I could eat. You'd be amazed at how much food I can like, you know, put down if I just had exposure, you know, to it. I don't drink either. As I get older, people respect that decision more and more. But when I was younger, I had to fight a lot to not drink. And the thing that always won the fight was I would just say, yeah, my mom's an alcoholic. Like, Mom was an alcoholic, so I don't drink. The end. Like, I'll lose that fight, right? And then invariably people would back down. But it wouldn't work if I was like, oh, I don't eat whatever, right? Like, I don't eat ice cream and cake because my dad was obese. Like, they're not going to be like, oh, okay. That, like, it's exactly. not the same kind of statement. Although that's also true. My dad was obese too. He's not anymore, but he was when I was growing yeah. up. But that's not the same, like, conversation ender that mom was an alcoholic is. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I used to say, um, I mean, I still do sometimes when this comes up, like if people like, oh, you know, you don't drink. I'm like, yeah, no. I'm like, but crystal meth on the other hand. And, (laughs) (laughs) and that would sort of get a good laugh and then it would sort of, you know, not become, you know, an an issue. Um, But yeah, I mean, with food, it's just, you know, and part of it is even us developing that mindfulness of like learning even the difference between being satisfied and being full. And mm-hmm. to a lot of folks with ADHD, they're kind of one in the same. I use this example a lot of times when I give talks about this, that when I was uh, 10 and one of my friends had a party at Chuck E. Cheese, that's when Chuck E. Cheese was cool. Um, and I love pizza. That's like my jam. That's my favorite food. And we ate pizza. We played arcades. We ran around and all that. And then my friend's mom is like, oh, guys, we have a lot of pizza. I don't want it to go to waste. Like, eat up. And I remember this kid who was a a friend of my friend who said, Oh no, I'm good. Like I'm full. And I was like, Oh, you didn't, you don't like pizza. I thought I was thought that was so weird. And he goes, Oh no, I like pizza. I'm just full. And I'm like, Oh, you didn't like this pizza. Like this <laughs> ducky cheese. And he goes, no, I'm just full. And I couldn't. And, and then literally, I mean, I remember his face looking at me like, what about this? Don't you understand? <laughs> and I couldn't understand. Wait a minute. If you love pizza, it's in front of you why wouldn't you eat it? Like, of course I'm going to eat it. Like, what do you mean? But that's the, that shows you that kind of wiring of an ADHD person. We're so externally stimulated that we're ignoring those internal cues of, huh? Like, let me first check in with myself as to whether I'm satisfied. Oh, I'm satisfied. So regardless of whether there's food left to be had or not, shouldn't matter. I first have to kind of tune in to myself. But that showed up in other things too. Sleep is the same thing. Like when I was younger, it was like sleep is what happens when there's no more fun to be had 
or nothing left to do. That was it. The idea that I would go to sleep or go to bed when, I don't know, there was more stuff I could do. It was so, I had to train myself to, to do that. It's a very difficult thing, you know, to do. I mean, so that shows up in lots of things, but with eating again, because we eat every day, multiple times in a day, it can really be a challenge. And it's no wonder that we see significantly higher risks of obesity, binge eating disorders of, of bulimia nervosa, of impulsive eating, which of course then obesity brings higher risk of diabetes and cardiovascular events, which people with ADHD, un, and I should, we should always preface untreated, unmanaged ADHD. Having ADHD doesn't do all those things. It's untreated, unmanaged ADHD. You just ran through a bunch of different eating disorders. And can we just kind of define those for anybody in the audience who might not know what they are, or what they mean? The clinical eating disorders, we have anorexia nervosa, which is less common for people with ADHD. We typically would see obsessive compulsive disorder be more comorbid with anorexia, comorbid being like associated with it. Although I have treated men who have ADHD and anorexia, and in their cases, interestingly, the anorexia, by anorexia, we're talking about someone who's basically starving themselves. They're severely restricting the amount of calories that their body needs, which often results in very significant weight loss, um, medically puts them in a lot of peril and danger. There's about a 15% mortality rate in people with anorexia mainly by medical complications, but also there's a high rate of suicide amongst people with anorexia. Very, very tormenting illness. This is the one I have personal experience with. My high school girlfriend, hey punk, in case you're listening, had anorexia nervosa and she wasn't that big to begin with, but got down to like 87 pounds. Mm. Um, I, I can remember a day we left, we left high school and it was really windy and she literally couldn't walk into the wind because mm. it was like she had like a windbreaker on that was acting like a sail and she just couldn't move forward. I had to carry her to my car. Um, I gave her a piggyback ride. We were together for two years. It was like a year and a half of my life was navigating that and trying to figure mm. out how to best take care of her. And probably that informs what I do now pretty heavily. Mm. But so anorexia nervosa, I understand. She dabbled with bulimia a little bit too. Yeah. And and wouldn't you know it, like... It has other neuro neurodiverse stuff going on um, as an adult. So could, could we move to bulimia and play with that one? Binge eating disorder, I'll talk about briefly first, is where you're eating a large... And binge eating disorder just got into the, the DSM, the Diagnosis and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders, in like the mid-90s. And that is eating a large amount of food in a short period of time, eating very quickly... Um, until you're uncomfortably full, there's often a lot of shame and embarrassment around it. It feels very out of control. So this is more than just someone with a hearty appetite. This is where um, people who engage in, in binge eating episodes often feel very primal and very animalistic. Um, they are often doing it alone in secrecy. It can result in weight gain, but there are lots of people with binge eating disorder that are of quote unquote healthy weight. So it's not always associated with obesity. Um, and that's sort of, you know, one of the misperceptions is I treat many men who have binge eating disorder who, you know, follow the kind of typical weight guidelines. Now, bulimia nervosa is someone who's engaging in binge eating episodes and then compensating. And I'm, I put the word compensating in quotes, which I'll talk about in a second, compensating for that binge 
by either self-induced vomiting, laxative use, fasting, diuretic. So they're trying to do something to kind of undo the binge, where basically they want to get rid of the calories that they took in from the binge. Now, I say compensating in quotes because studies show that it's actually not compensating for the binge. And in fact, the longer someone is bulimic, and we see this particularly with purging or with laxative use, the longer somebody engages in that behavior, the less that actually the fat is the thing that gets expelled from the body. That the first thing that's going to get expelled is water and all the vitamins and nutrients. And this is where working in the field of eating disorders for most of my life that um, has really, really made me appreciate the wonders of the body and sort of the how we are really built to survive as much as possible, that the body just has its own mechanisms. And so this is what it does. Our bodies are designed to survive. So if, if vomiting, for example, is something we're supposed to do when we ingest a toxin, if there's a toxin in our body, our body is meant to get rid of that toxin. It floods our brain with dopamine only to give us some euphoric, some energy to get us to sort of a safe place, um, you know, move away from where whatever the toxin is. It is not meant to be done on a regular basis. So the more that it gets done, the more the body says, oh, wait a minute, we're not getting rid of a toxin anymore. We're getting rid of like protein and, and all of these calories. And the more we do that, that can threaten someone's survival and put them in a famine state. So we're going to hold on to the fat. So people with bulimia, often their metabolism will start to drop, which will hold on to their fat even tighter in a sense, get rid of all sort of the nutrients, which then put them at risk for a lot of medical issues. And again, with bulimia, 10 to 15% mortality rate, um, which is about the same as anorexia. People assume anorexia would have a higher mortality rate. So these are very, very serious conditions um, when you're talking about clinical eating disorders. What about things like, I'm not trying to lump these in with clinical eating disorders, but I'm going to ask about them. What about things like like intermittent fasting and folks who really narrow what they're willing to eat? Food narrowing happens anyway with with neurodiversity. There's that like we only eat brown and yellow foods. Like there's that thing that happens, right? Chicken nuggets and mac and cheese and rolls and stuff. But there's also the movements. There's sort of diet movements, lifestyle movements that, that oh, are sure. going on out there around like don't eat beans because they contain some <laughs> chemical. I don't remember what the chemical is that are yes. in, in legumes and beans or only eat in like an eight hour window or a six hour window. Does that stuff flirt with eating disorders? Is it just like a thing that people are making a decision on how to live? Like, where does that stuff land? Yeah. You know, and that's the thing is there's so much information out there and a lot of conflicting information. It really comes down to when people, you know, are, are, trying to determine, okay, what's going to be uh, an eating plan that works for me? You know, I always tell people, you know, talk to your doctor. One thing isn't going to work for everybody. Now with things like, let's say intermittent fasting, the data actually shows some very promising results. Now, having said that though, I wouldn't make a blanket recommendation that everyone should do that because the thing is, is people who have eating disorders will absolutely gravitate, particularly with anorexia or bulimia, will gravitate to those kind of lose weight quick kind of things and often do it in ways that are very dangerous, in ways that fuel the eating disorder. 
those aren't things that I would say, oh, that's going to work for everybody. Now, I work with many individuals who do not have a clinical eating disorder. They are overweight. They're looking to have healthy weight loss and have engaged in um, the intermittent fasting. I've tried this myself where for a while I was eating between 11 a.m. and 7 p.m everything in in that window. Mm -hmm. And it honestly wasn't hard for me. I mean, I could have black coffee and water, you know, in the morning and it didn't have me like, so like if, if for some people it doesn't work well because they're so hungry that then once they eat at 11, they're like eating way more calories than they would if they just allowed themselves to eat breakfast. So then that's not going to work necessarily. So with any of these things, we have to adjust it to does this work for me? Is this sustainable? Talk to your doctor about it, you know, or, or a nutritionist. But um, yeah, I mean, there, again, with something like intermittent fasting, and but then you hear people that do like 30 day fasts, and they just do like just drink water. I don't see the research that shows that that's generally a good thing for you. I mean, um, so you hear there's always the extreme of these kinds of things. It's like, whoa, well, that is a little bit different, you know, than someone who is eating 11 to seven, three days a week, you know, or something. I found it, frankly, executively easier if I gave myself that time frame. So I'm like, okay, I'm not snacking after seven, because that always like a thing for me is the snacking. If I know this is the window, then it kind of just took that off the table. And as long as I'm getting proper calories in that window, which I was, then that's fine but not something I would say as a blanket statement for everyone. And especially for, these are all things too, that for a developing body is a whole different animal because I work with lots of teens who engage in some of these unhealthy practices. And I tell them, no, no, no. When you're listening to the benefits of intermittent fasting or this or that, that's an adult body. That's a very different thing. Like you are, you need a lot more calories you know, I always tell the 13 and 14 year olds, like, you can eat three times as much food as I do and like get away with it. Yeah, yeah. Like, because your body needs that. Like, these rules do not apply to you here. Like, these, this is a very different thing. The research that's when you're looking at it is typically done with adults. And another thing to factor in is medication, right? Like, I've, right. I've found that if I don't have something in the morning with my meds, I get a little jittery and my stomach feels really not happy with me. Absolutely. So hence the protein shake in the morning, because I did the seven, the 11 to seven intermittent fasting for a while. And when I went back on my ADHD meds, it just wasn't working for me. And the same is potentially true for a kid. Like kids should not be intermittently fasting. They should not be skipping breakfast. Absolutely not especially if they're taking meds because the meds need something in your stomach to, to just to, mostly to keep your stomach from getting too upset. Absolutely. But not orange juice. Don't take orange juice because it messes with the citric acid messes with most of the stimulants. Yeah. Another thing I want to, I want to play with when it comes to eating is the sensory nature, like the sensory yes. nature of food. One of the things I love about chocolate chip cookies specifically Mm. is that they can be crunchy and chewy at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that's usually what I want when I'm stressed. And when I'm on my game, I'm like, I can just get some gum that has some kind of a crunchy coating to it and then chew on that and it'll it'll do me. Mm-hmm. But I haven't quite gotten mindful enough about it to make that the automatic. And more often than not, I'm like, I want a chocolate chip cookie. 
Good thing I have no time <laughs> to leave the house and go buy one. Am I on to something here? Is the sensory-seeking nature a, a component totally. of it? Totally. That's such a big part of it. I mean, food is so, think it, it's the ultimate sensory thing. We see it, we hear it, we smell it, we taste it, the touch of it. I mean, there's so much about it. I mean, I was taught, like, I love a good slice of pizza. And uh, my son and I were, were sharing a pizza last week. And just every part of it, like folding the slice and I'm smelling the tomato sauce. Like it's like, it's all senses in, you know, for me in the same way that like, I'm a big music lover. Like when I'm at a show, I, it is like all senses and I'm feeling that bass in my chest. I am like, I'm feeling connected to the people around me. It's very, very sensory. So a lot of times it's again, that mindfulness of what is it that I'm actually looking for? So Sometimes even in trying to work on eating habits, if let's say somebody's like, you know, I just want something crunchy. Okay. You know, we could get something crunchy. So for example, like I like pretzel rods. I don't like pretzels, but I like pretzel rods. There's something about like when they're in the twisty form, I don't, I don't know the texture of it or the way it isn't satisfying, but the rods are, um, and the big salt crystals on the rods. I don't know. I like those. <laughs> so when I want something crunchy and salty, I've reached for those pretzel rods, but that has a very, um, I'm quickly satisfied with that. Like I've never eaten 10 pretzel rods. Like I'll have like two and I actually dip it in like this roasted red pepper hummus and it tastes so good. So I'll have like two and I'm like satisfied. Whereas if I went to Doritos, I could eat a whole bag of Doritos. Like that has a very low satiety effect, you know, for me. And they're so, made that way on purpose. They're exactly, they're exactly made that way. And so sometimes it's like, okay, it's not that, because we also don't want, and particularly for people with ADHD to feel shame around, you know, how difficult this might be for them to manage. This doesn't make you gluttonous. It doesn't make you a pig, you know, all of these negative, really stigmatizing terms that people use around you know, they're, they're bot, you know, people who are in larger bodies or people who just are more impulsive eaters that they lack willpower. We want to get rid of all of that and just say, no, this is just how my brain is wired. And I'm just seeking this and I can work with this. So I get some pretzel rods. If I want something sweet, sometimes it's going to be, you know, something sweet, but I know my downfall is Oreo cookies. I'm convinced there's crack in that cream because I could swim in that cream. I mean, it's just, oh my gosh, it's like so good. I don't have boxes of uh, like a whole package of Oreos in my house. They're going to go too quickly. So, you know, there are like other sweet things. Like I might have like a, a piece of candy or particularly in the fall in New England with apple picking season, honey crisp apples. Oh my gosh. Those are like, when those are in season, they're so sweet. And I put them in the fridge where they're cold and then I slice them up. And that really satisfies that like sweet, you know, craving for me. And they've got the fiber that's going to help with the satiety. Absolutely. I've never eaten. I don't even think I've eaten two apples at the same time. Like one apple is actually very satisfying, you know, so it's finding those kinds of things. If it's something smooth that, you know, you're craving, it's like, okay, what could be, you know, like I wasn't a big yogurt lover growing up, but the Greek yogurts, I really love when that started to become the Chobani and like those kind of that real creamy texture. And it didn't have that same aftertaste that some of those other yogurts had. I'm like, oh, this I'm, I can have when I want something like smooth. So even asking ourselves, what is it that I'm really seeking, you know, here? And then sometimes it's just 
protein that we need because an ADHD brain, we need a lot of protein. And I can tell you for me, eggs is like a superfood. When I eat eggs, I instantly feel just solid, like grounded. I don't know. It's like, to me, there's something magical about eggs. So even at times you hear eggs are bad. Now they say it's good. And like, all I know is growing my entire life. When I eat eggs, it just always felt, oh, like I'm, I'm satisfied. You know, there's a satiation effect there. There's a few things that kind of played through what you were just saying as I was listening. One was, and I don't want to sound like I'm like going off the rails here too much, but there is a difference between processed foods and non-processed foods. 100%. And and I'm not here to say like, well, processed foods are full of chemicals that make ADHD worse because that research is not so great. Right. But what is true is that most processed foods, especially from like your really big brands, are designed to not leave you feeling full. Like they figured out yeah. how to make the food less satisfying, yes. but delicious, right? So you eat it and you're like, this is delicious. I must be feeling satisfied from it, except that I'm not. I'm just getting the delicious. And there's no satiety. So I'm going to eat a whole bag of Doritos and not notice that I just ate a whole bag of Doritos. And that means I'm going to buy another whole bag of Doritos. Like that's the plan. And so ADHD folks with some oppositionality, use your oppositionality to your advantage on this and get mm. angry that they're trying to manipulate you to eat the whole bag of Doritos, the whole sleeve of Oreos or whatever your food of choice is. The other thread that's in here too is... There's a little bit of sensory stuff happening depending on the kind of food that you're eating, right? So mm. when you have an apple and you bite into it, whether it's sliced or not, there's that like crisp sound of your teeth biting yes. into it. And there's the way it feels when you bite into it. You break the skin and then you get into the softer flesh underneath. And the same can be true if you're having a hard boiled egg, right? There is a, an experience of peeling that egg. That is sensor sensory and kind of does some some stuff for us. Sometimes it's frustrating and aggravating because it takes forever and the, the egg shell keeps breaking. And sometimes it's just <laughs> like, I have a minute. I'm going to enjoy like this process of picking at the eggshell. Even a basic hard boiled egg has two textures, right? Like the outer white and then there's the yellow in the middle that brings a new texture with it, which some of us are going to love and others of us are going to be like, I'm not eating the yolk because it's powdery and weird. Um, I know my kids were like that growing up, but that sensory nature of food too plays a role in in what we're going to eat and the whole foods tend to have at least variable sensory sensory inputs as 100% foods no i think that's such an important point you bring up because you're right i mean so there's a a lot of bad books out there on adhd that say you know the elimination diet eliminate processed food eliminate sugar eliminate we have adhd we're born with adhd it's mm -hmm. not going to get rid of adhd what nutritionists, though, however, say is when we're eating processed food, just like you said, it is 100% designed to not have a, a satiety effect. When we're eating that processed food, it's what we're also not eating that is impacting us. If I'm or somebody is eating bags of Doritos, it means we're not eating a high protein food, a complex carbohydrate, a fruit, a vegetable. That is really more what's going to impact. So a lot of these studies that looked at processed food and hyperactivity has been what we call like a spurious correlation. Like it makes it look like it's the presence of the processed food, but it's really the fact that they're eating the processed food, they're not, ha they're malnourished because they're technically not getting 
basic essential vitamins and minerals that are very important in terms of executive functioning and, and things like that. And to be aware that, as we know, kids with ADHD tend to, and adults tend to like sugar and complex carbs and things like that. Even like my, I'll, I'll do these mindfulness exercises with clients in the office where, you know, we unwrap the Hershey's kiss, you know, you, you first look at it, you smell it, you just rest it on your tongue, have it slowly. And anytime I've done that exercise with people and you do it sort of in this way, they're satiated with maybe one or two Hershey's kisses instead of in the past, they might've had like 20 or 30. So we know as people with ADHD, we tend to eat faster we tend to eat while we're doing other things, which means we're not as attentive to our intake. So the whole practice of just mindfully eating, just connect to it. And you brought up the hard-boiled egg. Even with kids, if we could even bring our kids into the preparation of food. I, I actually like the feeling of taking the shell off a hard-boiled egg and washing it. Like there's something very satisfying about like cleaning it off and everything like that. Like, so bringing apples, I don't like eating apples, like just in my hand, like crunching into it. I, I have to slice it. So that's, again, that sensory thing. I don't, I, I think part of it is I always have this fear that my teeth are going to fall out. <laughs> the apple. That's a whole other issue of a lot of obsessionality. Like, so I never like eating an apple. Like we always had a little apple slicer. I have one here in my office, slice it. And I love eating like a good slice. But like you said, I love the sound of it, the crunch of it when it's crisp, when it's, and so even with our kids, we can start to engender those habits of, oh, what is it about this food that you like? Let's eat it really slow and like really describe it and of slowing it down. Always a very fast eater, even as a kid. And like my dad was not ADHD and he loved food, but he was like, it's slowly, son. It's okay. You know, let's talk. Let's, I'm like, you know, like I just be <laughs> just gouging it down my throat. And like, I wouldn't even realize it though. That's the thing. It's not even like I was meaning to eat it fast. And sure enough, the slower you eat, the more your stomach can communicate with your brain to say, oh, we're good. I could eat more, but I don't need to. I'm satisfied. And that's a concept for a lot of people with ADHD takes a lot of time to develop. And just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? I want people to have a positive relationship with food. If you love food, love that you love food. If your food is like, yeah, you know, you have to eat it, that's fine, you know, too. But I want people to have a positive relationship with food. And then just almost as an exercise, have a day where you're just very mindful of every thought that you have around food. You know, what's determining what you are going to eat that day? Is it something you want to eat? Is it something like you were mentioning before? It's like, oh, I don't want to be eating this fast food, but I had a hard time planning a meal, but not to have shame around that. And that's something to work with your coach, your clinician, to nutritionist with to help with that because you're not alone. And for anyone who is struggling with a weight issue, an eating disorder, to please get professional help around it. Um, this is not an issue of willpower or morality. This is just how we're wired. And this is where it can be difficult having ADHD. And But once we kind of can manage it, then we can enjoy all what I feel are the benefits of having ADHD. But all those other things have to be kind of in place in order to enjoy the sort of strengths around it. Mm -hmm.
you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com. And visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.